Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show, where business owners, professionals, and entrepreneurs gather to discover playmaking ideas for success. Your host is internationally recognized speaker, facilitator, and author, Steve Klein, who sits down with fascinating playmakers who have made themselves and their company successful. Steve will introduce you to CEOs and executives who discuss their playmaking path toward success. And now, it's time to meet this show's playmaker. Here's your host, Steve Klein. Mahatma Gandhi said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. I'm Steve Klein. In the studio today is a guest who makes the changes that the world wants to see. Today's Playmaker has developed a $200 million, 500,000 plus square foot lifestyle center in the Las Colinas Urban Center. With us today is a CEO whose venue converts from a 2,500 capacity intimate theater to a 4,000-person indoor theater, and then, at the touch of a button, opens up to an 8,000-person boutique open-air amphitheater. This great playmaker is Noah Lazis. Noah's co-founder, president, and CEO of Art Group and the Toyota Music Factory. Now, the North Carolina-based Art Group and his family of companies developed the Toyota Music Factory in the heart of the Las Colinas Urban Center in Irving, Texas. It's a unique, state-of-the-art entertainment and dining district offering something for everyone. The Art Group is a multifaceted conglomerate of companies that focuses on mixed-use developments that often include an element of public entertainment. The four primary divisions of the Art Group family of companies are mixed-use residential and entertainment real estate, Concerts and special events, nightclubs and restaurants, and advertising and public relations. Now, in addition to being recognized and accomplished entertainment lifestyle center developer, Noah is highly respected for his works as a producer of some of the largest arts and music festivals in the United States. These programs include Rocktoberfest, Carolina Music Fest, Indie Summer Stages, Center City Fest, and City Fest Live. We're going to find out more about that. Noah, welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, this is an interesting concept, so we'll, we'll delve into it. But before we started, uh, you graduated from the University of North Carolina with a BS in civil engineering. How did that training prepare you to run the art group? Yes, so I have to have to clarify that. It's University of North Carolina at Charlotte. We have to get in. UNC is a great school, but UNC Charlotte is a great engineering school. And uh, I graduated with a, a degree in civil engineering. Um, and I kind of a funny story when I was looking at various engineering schools around, around the country and, and trying to figure out where I was going to, going to go to engineering school, largely because I was, I was good in math and, uh, and I applied to Virginia Tech and NC State and Georgia Tech and as, as UNC Charlotte was actually a fallback school because it wasn't far from my hometown in Lewisburg, West Virginia, right up, right up the interstate up, up Highway 77. And um, when that happened, um, I went around to the different schools and Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, unquestionably better engineering schools um, than UNC Charlotte. And I got to UNC Charlotte and the dean of the engineering school, uh, the engineering school, Dean Snyder, actually asked to meet with me. And um, I thought, well, that's kind of odd. You know, here I am, in, you know, just applying to school here and the dean's asking to meet with me, but sure, okay, great. So I went in and met with the dean and uh, he said, you know, what do you want to do? I said, what do you mean? I, you know, I applied to engineering school. And he said, well, is, do you want to be an engineer? I said, no, not really. So I kind of gathered that from you know, reading over your application and some of the things you'd done. And, and uh, I said, I want to be an entrepreneur. He said, well, there's no better city than the city of Charlotte to be an entrepreneur. He said, you know, 
Virginia Tech, great school, but do you know what they call Blacksburg? They call it Bleaksburg. That's that's the nickname for Blacksburg because there's nothing there but the university. And so he went through the different cities and and he said, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, this is all new in Charlotte. It's all up and coming. It's all new money. It's new people. It's not an old school, uh, you know, uh, generational deal that that, that 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 doesn't have access. Charlotte has access for 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 new entrepreneurs and. That conversation really changed my my life and my career, and um, and I did always want to be an entrepreneur. I never wanted to be an engineer, but I always wanted to have a degree that, in the event that I failed as an op- entrepreneur, I could still make a living. And unfortunately, a lot of other degrees are challenging to get a job. If 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 you if you if you have a, a general business degree, what do you do with it if if if, if you don't have a job? And on engineering, I knew there would always be a fallback position to be able to be an engineer. So I kind of look at it like. That toolbox of engineering education prepared me to be able to make a lot of decisions um, in all aspects of business. In my mind, all businesses kind of are the same you know, to a certain degree, that, that you have to make sound fiscal decisions, and, and they all involve a lot of numbers. And so if, if you're not good at numbers and you don't have somebody on your team that's good at numbers, it's challenging because you've got to kind of figure out if you can make or lose money on a deal. And, and I'll never forget the, one of the first concerts I ever produced that, that, that I lost money on. It was, it was the Neville Brothers in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, uh, and my dad lived in New Orleans, so we did these New Orleans shows. And, you know, and, and the ne- Neville Brothers have won multiple Grammys. So, you know, in, in my mind, they're big stars. In the minds of people who live in Charlotte, North Carolina, nobody knows who, who they are. So we, we did the show and 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 got our brains beat in. Lost lost, uh, I think I don't know ten thousand dollars on the night. And I always tell people until you've ever done some work and got there before everybody else got there, stayed after everybody left. You weren't allowed to have a drink. You weren't allowed to have a good time. You barely even got to see the show. And then you paid a multiple of what everybody else paid in a ticket to actually do all that work. It's a very depressing feeling, and people don't realize in business. And I think that was when I first kind of realized, you know what? Break even is not the worst scenario. Lose money is the worst scenario. And so being able to figure out on paper how you make or lose money is very critical in being able to expand a business. And I think that my engineering education has helped me a lot in being able to do that because I'm pretty quick with numbers, and so uh, you know, in, in a pretty short time, I think that that probably my biggest attribute is I can get a feel real quickly if a, if if a deal has the potential to make money. Two things came from all that. As I was listening in between the uh, in between the lines, it sounds like you're very analytical. You like working the numbers on a project and seeing how they fall into place. The other thing was the fact that you did lose money, which is probably looking. 2020 hindsight is probably a good thing for you. You probably learned more from that than if you would have made a lot of money that first night that you uh, produced a concert. But l- let's talk about where you, how you've gotten here, because you've developed a, uh, a concept, uh, this one specifically, the Toyota Music Factor, where you're combining music, entertainment, food in a, in a lifestyle urban area. How did you develop that concept, and what did it take to put all that together? So the Music Factory is really a fruition of, of all the different uh, things that we have done to date. So we are a operator at heart and, and uh, a developer in, in reality. And so um, we have owned and operated 40, and 50, 40 or 50 restaurants and nightclubs around the country, starting in Charlotte, North Carolina, literally with a food court that we would convert into a concert hall. 
And when we did that conversion, um, a major developer, actually the biggest developer, I think in the world, Simon came along at the time it was called Simon DeBartolo. Simon DeBartolo till this day, I think is the biggest mall developer in the world. Um, and they came to Charlotte and saw us converting this food hall, food court that was closed at night into a concert hall. And at the time there was nothing downtown Charlotte. So it was literally a ghost town downtown at night. It's very vibrant now, 20 years later or 25 years later, but um, at the time, there was nothing, and, and, and they just thought it, they were tickled to death with it. They thought it was the, the greatest thing ever. Oh, you're converting this, and you're getting double revenue out of the same space. So for a developer, that's very interesting. Well, now I can pick up some more revenue at night that I wasn't getting during the day. And I said, well, this is really not that easy to do. Like when you have to take Wendy's and, and TGI Fridays and convert, and, and convert them to a concert hall at night, and, and then you got people in there drinking and puking and everything else all over these food court spaces, and then to make them a, a food court the next morning is no easy task. By the way, the bands aren't overly excited when they walk in and go, this looks like a food court. I'm like, don't worry, in a few hours when we hang curtains and everything else, it's going to look like a concert hall. The good news for that is I paid $375 a night every time I used it, and I didn't have to use it. I had exclusive rights to the weekends, and it held 2,000 people. So I had a 2,000-person concert hall for $375 a night, downtown Charlotte. And uh, so it was, it was a unique situation that, that then blossomed into a relationship with Simon, where Simon then built a, a new mall in Indianapolis, Indiana, across the street from their corporate headquarters. They're located in Indianapolis, and for anybody who's ever been to Indy, Simon owns pretty much everything in Indy, <laughs> like if Simon is, is Indy. And we're going to design the food court such that it's it, it can be hosed down, and there are motorized doors over top of all the spaces, and it'll be set up to be able to do this, so it'll be much easier than what you're doing in Charlotte. So, okay, great. I think I was 23 years old at the time, and about... Six months before the mall was getting ready to open, this brand-new million-square-foot mall called Circle Center Mall, um, they came to us and said, you know what, scrap the food court idea. We've got 50,000 square feet of space on the top floor. We want you to do six entertainment venues that operate 365 days a year. I said, well, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do that. I have one little small space in Charlotte, North Carolina, down the, down the hall from the concert hall that was called Fat Tuesday, a little 4,000-square-foot franchise. And, uh, and they said, we're going to give you $125 a square foot on top of a warm shell. That should be enough to build out the space. You'll form a shell corporation. You'll have no guarantees. You'll have no risk on it. But we want to know that you're able to do it. So we're going to put up all the money, essentially. And can you do it? And, uh, and it all happened because they got in a fight with their current entertainment developer. And Simon, as people who know them know that they're quite a stringent company. And so uh, once they decide someone's out, they're out. So they'd gotten in a, an argument with their entertainment developer and, and wanted to swap them out with somebody else and, and slotted us in. And we ran the full course of a 10-year lease on that, that 45 or 50,000 square feet on the top floor of Circle Center Mall. And from that day on, any project we wanted to do was within reach because I would just say, you know, if you'd like a reference, call Meller, Herb, Simon. They sit across the street from the 45,000 square feet we operate in their brand new mall in, in Indianapolis, Indiana. And of course, any developer who hears that goes, oh, okay, there, boom, check. And, uh, and so we went on to develop a multitude of restaurants and nightclubs around the country, culminating in the late 90s, early 2000s with a nightclub in, in South Beach, Miami, uh, formerly owned by by the artist formerly known as Prince, which then again became known as Prince. And so we actually purchased that venue from Prince and created what was called Level Nightclub, which went on to be 
the highest grossing nightclub in the world um, until Tao opened up in Las Vegas. And that was kind of the peak of the operation side and kind of was sparing you the details along the way of all the multitude of different cities that we went into. We learned a lot about entertainment districts and we learned a lot about developers and their views on entertainment. And at that time, it's it changed some now, but at that time, entertainment was largely viewed by developers as the redheaded stepchild to support traditional retail. So, you know, the food and alcohol business and, and concert business, it was wild, wild west. They were really more concerned about Saks Fifth Avenue and Nordstrom. And, and, but they realized they needed some entertainment to kind of supplement that and how could they kind of slot that in. And, and uh, so having the gamut of landlords from Simon on the top end to the four third generation grandsons that inherited their great grandfather's building. Um, most of the landlords that we had were not only not helpful to our business, they hurt our business because they didn't understand it. And, uh, and along that path, we, we grew our festival and concert division um, with the companies that later on became what today is Live Nation. So we have known the pieces of Live Nation, the cellar doors and the paces of the world since long before they were a public company. And most of those guys are still there running that company. And so we made the natural progression in the early 2000s from tenant to landlord and uh, with the mindset that we understand your business, we've set in your shoes. We know what kind of rent you can afford to pay. We know the pitfalls of the food and beverage and alcohol business. We know the competition. Ultimately, we know what we can do to help you to be successful. And if you can't pay rent, if you can't make money, you can't pay rent. And if you can't pay rent, we can't make money. So we're your partner any way you look at it. What better partner to have than someone who understands your business? And that kind of to come full circle is really where our relationship came from with Live Nation and why Live Nation is a tenant of ours because they appreciate that we understand their business. We know how important it is that if there's a tour bus out there that can't get into the backstage area because some problem, you can't wait to solve that till Monday morning at 9 a.m. That needs to be solved whatever time of the day, night, within minutes, or otherwise they could potentially have a problem with their entire tour. They're buying full tours, so one problem with Brad Paisley here today could cost them 50 Brad Paisley dates across the country. And most landlords don't understand that. They go, well, what's the big deal? You know, he couldn't get in the backstage for 30 minutes. It's not a problem. What well, is a problem? And same thing in all the other pieces here. In the restaurants and other entertainment venues, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And if you don't have operations that can support what you're doing, it, it, it becomes a challenge. If you're constantly in a battle with your landlord about sound and trash and this and that, and, and they don't understand your business and they're not doing what they can to help you to be successful, it's that much more challenging. And, you know, As we all know, it's some ridiculous ratio of the number of restaurants that fail. I'm, don't quote me on this number, but I think 90 plus percent of restaurants that open fail or some huge number. And so you need all the, all the help you can to be successful. And ultimately, if you can have a landlord that can help you to do that, it gives you that much better chance to be successful. And so that was our goal. And we're pretty much an exclusive entertainment, food and beverage landlord. We don't really have any retail. We don't understand retail. We're not a hotel developer. We're not a residential developer. We do do we do do some office because office fits fits nicely to help fill the daytime gap. Um, and we love to have residential and hotel around us, but that's not what we do. We we do food and beverage and entertainment, and and that's what we try to do well. As you said, there's no retail. It's it's restaurants and it's live uh, music venue. With everything you've done, has all that in the past culminated to put together what is now the Toyota Music Factory and the way you've developed it? Yeah, the dream has always been to create the city within the city. And it, um, 
it's unquestionably, unmistakably the mindset of today's today's generation to live first and work second. You know, our our parents grew up working first and living second. And so it wasn't so important to have food and beverage at, and entertainment at, at their doorsteps because, you know, they, they got to that when they got to it. You know, this generation, that's number one priority. They'll, they'll sit at home, you know, broke in order to go out and be entertained. And uh, whereas our parents didn't have that mindset. So, so if you want to keep the 29 million square foot of office, which Irving has, happy and the 12,000 hotel rooms full that Irving has, you have to have food and beverage and entertainment. So this particular location was a real opportunity to come in and create a full entertainment district. There are not a lot of cities of this size around the world that don't have many established pockets. You know, and, and you know, for the DFW market certainly has a bunch of them. Irving doesn't, and you can start to rattle them off. Whether you talked about Uptown and McKinney Avenue, or Lower Greenville, or Fort Worth uh, district, you could go on and on of the different districts. But Irving has none. In fact, it doesn't even have a, a, a current mall. Even, even, even the mall is dated. So, so you have very limited concentration of food and beverage and entertainment. And when we saw the market, we were just ecstatic over the idea of having the opportunity to create that. And, and again, you know, the idea that it's all in one location. People want to be able to park their car or take, a, or take, take some form of public transportation. We, of course, have a dart stop here, and then Uber gets more and more prevalent. Who knows what the future of autonomous vehicles will be. But, but, but they want to go to one spot and, and get out and walk around and be able to be entertained for, for three or four hours and, and, and leave their normal life behind and, 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 and escape it. And what we've created here is, is really an oasis. Um, you can come here and completely escape your everyday problems and have a good time and forget about, you know, the lousy day that you might have had or, or the long week that you got coming up and just get away from it and enjoy it, but still not have to, not have to go to 10 places to get that. You can, you can have any type of food that you want here. You can hear almost any type of music you want. You can see a movie. You can do all these different things all in one location. And, and so it was, it, it was pretty cool to be able to create that from, from ground up. I want to ask you about the restaurant tenants in a moment, but first the theater, because I mentioned that at the at the opening. This is the music venue here is rather unique with a push of a button that changes. Tell us about that. Tell us how it works. What kind of different venues you can have from it, and how you came up with that idea. Yeah, it's interesting how you know uh, what what you kind of learn along the way in this business, and you would think that, and this is where I go back to basically all businesses are the same, and that you know. So much of it is learned by experience and trial and error. And in Charlotte, at our music factory, we have a 800-seat venue indoors run by Live Nation. All three of our music venues are Live Nation venues. Um, we have a 2,000-seat indoor capacity venue, and we have a 5,000-capacity outdoor venue. All three of those have independent stages, independent dressing rooms. They're completely independent. And the fact of the matter is that not often do they run simultaneous, in particular the 2,000 and the 5. The 8 and the 2 runs, the 800 and the 2,000 do run simultaneous quite a bit. So I think there's probably a need for a second room in that respect. Um, but, but 2 and 5 don't really run simultaneous that often. We never, almost never, I think in 10 years, we might have moved one or two shows from the 5 to the 2 or the 2 to the 5 because it's very complex to do. If you've got a whole other stage, you got, you got to now figure out the production with that band of how to move and also the people. They have different seating configurations, and it, it, it's almost impossible to move. 
So when we started working here, we said, wouldn't it be amazing if at the touch of a button you could go from 2,500 to 4,000 to 8,000, not move a single seat, not move a single instrument on stage, not relocate anybody in their seating configuration, and just say, you know what, we're going to sell another 2,500 tickets. Boom, press a button, and suddenly they're freed up. And the goal of doing that was to make sure that the room did not feel like a half-cut room. You know, it's nothing new, the idea of taking an arena that holds 18,000 people and trying to cut it down to eight. The problem is it feels like an 18,000-seater cut down to eight for the fans, for the artists, for everybody. And so the artist goes, I'm playing an 18,000-seater, only sold 6,000 tickets. This feels horrible. Same thing for the for the fan. They go, oh, it wasn't that big of a show. It was half full. And so it's, and by the way, the expenses go along with that too. So, you know, and the expenses were still 18,000 seater expenses. So it's bad for everyone. So the goal here was to create a venue that the flexibility could be done in such a way that when you came in and it was a 2,500 seater, you never even know that it's a, it's a 4,000 seater. When it's four, you never know it's eight. When it's eight, you never know it could shrink down to four. And so literally we have people all the time that come to shows and it's, it's great to hear them, you know, when they don't know who you are to, to hear the argument i've literally heard people go it's an indoor outdoor venue and then someone else go no it's not there's no outdoor area i was there trust me there's no outdoor area because they don't realize the, those motorized doors pull open to the outdoor and, uh, and then i've had other people go what are you talking about it's it, i sat on the lawn and then, then they start f- trying to figure out if they're actually in the same location and and uh and i think that we have done a uh, our architects and and designers and Live Nation and, and us, the collaborative effort and the design of that venue has created a new model. And, you know, and, 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 uh, and it was really done by just the experience of saying, wouldn't it be nice if these two were combined? And you're, you're doing for live entertainment what sports has done for um, sporting venues. Changing it, you can have open air, you can uh, be closed, uh, as large or as small as you want to have. And you have more control that way, I would think. 100%. 100%. You know, we're not the first to try to reinvent, you know, a, a sport or a hobby. You know, they did it with bowling, of course. You know, bowling alleys were completely passe. And then they said, oh, why don't we add some bars and some entertainment and change up the look? And suddenly now there's cool new bowling alleys all over. You know, Top Golf has done it with, with uh, driving ranges. You know, and you could kind of go through the list of the different people who've done it. But in the concert business, it had never really been done. The venue itself had never really been updated. It, it was to, just thought of to be a black box, and the only thing anybody ever really talked about was acoustics and load-in. Is there a good load-in? How are the acoustics? Like, nobody really thought about the fan experience, things like putting the bars in the main room like we have here. It was, you know, it was kind of thought of, well, you know, it'll be too noisy for certain artists. Yes, there are four or five acoustic artists a year. We just shut down those bars and use the bars in the lobbies. Most artists, it's not too noisy. In fact, quite the opposite. Most people who go to shows would much rather have a bar in the main room so they don't miss their favorite song going to get their wife or girlfriend a drink that took 20 minutes for them to go find the lobby and get back in. So we've got four huge island bars in our main room that allow you to get drinks literally while you're watching the show. And and uh, and so things like that were just simple. You know, you would say, gosh, that seems so obvious. But even though it seems obvious, when they're designing these arenas, those people aren't necessarily promoters. They're architects and engineers who don't understand the concert promotion business and how it really works. And they're not close enough to the tenant to be able to have the, the conversation. And when you have the conversation, at some point, someone has to make a decision, right? So, so you have these conversations. There's always a production manager that's going to say, 
we're going to have an acoustic night with Barry Manilow, and he's not going to like, you know, these bars in the main room. Well, that is true, that maybe he doesn't like those. But even Barry Manilow, I think, likes them in the main room because it gives energy and activity, and it doesn't feel like a sterile building. It feels like a big nightclub. It's as the, the what I was thinking when you mentioned that. It's, it's a nightclub where you can drink and be entertained at the same time without missing, as you said, a thing. But before we finish, let's talk about the the number of restaurants uh, and other venues like uh, movie that you have um, at Toyo Music Factory. Uh, off the top of your head, tell us some of the uh, tenants you have. So we just got an all-star lineup of tenants. I would argue that we have one of the best food and beverage lineups in the country. Uh, you know, we got a ton of just pros here. I mean, these guys are, you know, some of them 50, 60, some 100-plus units deep into, into their development. And uh, so... On the one hand, people say, well, you know, isn't it nice to have an indigenous entertainment district that's got one-of-a-kind mom-and-pop, you know, operators? And we have some of those. Um, you know, Buena Braza, for example, has three locations. It's a father-son group. Um, they're, you know, they're full-on Brazilians. They're there every night. They know every inch of the space. You know, they know every customer that walks in. I personally can't slip in the backside of that to even see how their business is without them spotting me and saying, Noah, come over here. And, you know, and it's an hour conversation every time you do it because they're so friendly and vibrant in their business. And so it's good to have mom and pop and local, you know, involvement, but, to really do a $200 million development, you got to have some credit. So you got to have people like Yard House, which is owned by Darden, who's the biggest restaurateur in the world. And we're so proud and honored. to. to we always tout the fact that we've got literally the biggest concert promoter in the world in Live Nation sitting beside Darden, the biggest restaurateur in the world in Irving, Texas. And so if you ever have a question whether or not we delivered here, let's start there, okay? The two biggest in the world are here, restaurant and, and entertainment. And then start going down the list. Guys like Gloria's, I think they own, I think he's up to 19 or 20 stores. He's never closed the store. The guy's a seasoned pro. I mean, he knows this market inside and out. He's got, you know, as good of a of, of a Latin Tex-Mex, you know, uh, product there as you're ever going to get. And, and then keep going on down, stop over at, at Grimaldi's and have a slice of pizza in their 58th location. You know, and but even though it's location number fifty-eight, you walk in and the 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 staff, the energy, the way that they go and about the process is just fantastic. And you know, keep going on further down and stop by a place like Freshy, which is more of a new concept, but a bunch of locations around. They understand the healthy diet and what it what what that's about. And you know, people don't realize you know how much that's starting to influence our lives. If you look at menus, more and more and more people want to know how many calories are in it. What, what does it do for my body and what's it do for my energy level? And, and Freshie does a marvelous job of, of, of things like that. Um, going down top round, first location uh, on the East Coast. They came from the West Coast, wildly popular on the West Coast. Um, and, uh, and just great to be able to be, you know, their first location here. Um, keep going. Places like Thirsty Lion also came from the West Coast. Um, Kabuki came from the West Coast. Um, Bar Louie has 100-plus locations. Um, and then the Big Beat guys. Um, the Big Beat guys have, uh, you know, have six bases here. Billy Bob, of course, is a legend in Texas um, with a longstanding history of marketing and promotion and success here. Um, and you know, part of what they created were some unique one-of-a-kind concepts. So what you see over at Big Beat and their concepts are things that you can't see anywhere else in the world. They're, they're his creations. And they, along with 
teamed with Restaurants Unlimited, who's a massive restaurant company. You put the operations with Billy Bob, and you have a really interesting concept and ability to create and market. So, um, and then of course we have a hundred thousand square foot office tenant in Ethos Corporation, which, which really, the thing that was most attractive to us about them is that they fill hotel rooms. They they do a lot, a lot of training of people from out of town which brings daytime and weekday traffic to help fill the district. Um, so uh, as, as we keep going, um, you know, the, the various tenants around the property, I would argue, are as, as good as it gets. You know, even our TCBY, you walk in TCBY, and I'm biased, of course, but I think it's the coolest TCBY I've ever been in with the big guitar on the side and the whole thing and, you know, and, and all of it fronting you know, the Texas Lottery Plaza. You know, having that Texas Lotto Plaza out there is is you know is the heart and the centerpiece of the development, and you know the Toyota Music Factory has to have has to have a center, and if you look at any successful entertainment district, they always have some kind of central gathering location, and we could go, you know, line by line of districts around the country. They usually have some kind of central central plaza like the Texas Lotto Plaza, and they usually have some type of of live music anchor, and sometimes that's by accident. Sometimes it's planned. Usually it's by accident. Usually it's some building or theater or location that started and the district kind of grew around it or it came into the district. Here it was really cool to be able to plan the whole thing at once. And we always explained to our tenants that there's a, you know, our leases are quite restrictive. They're, 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 they're a little bit tighter than most. Um, and tenants always you know question that. Um, and we explained to them that, that the reason that it's done that way is because we want to make sure the integrity and the stability of the district goes on forever. We don't want a 4,000-square-foot tenant dictating an entire district. And if you look at entertainment districts, they go on for generations and generations unless a few landlords in the area become don't play along with the plan. Suddenly they start putting tenants in that, that don't fit into the district, cause problems in the district and cause issues. And, and that's what often sinks a district. And, you know, you saw it happen in Buckhead of Atlanta, um, where, where basically the, the real estate prices got cut in half when, when they started putting in, you know, tenants that were, were not good tenants for the district. And so here is a real benefit in having a landlord that has vested interest in the overall project. Well, you have now created the, uh, the, most spectacular music and uh, food venue in uh, central DFW. You've had a successful uh, uh, grand opening. Tell everybody where they can go to find out more about the Toyota Music Factory. So it's real simple, just toyotamusicfactory.com, toyotamusicfactory.com. We'll give you, you know, the whole update of everything that's going on here, and that will link you to all of our tenants and, and all, of the, uh, all, all of the concerts that are coming here. Um, and we have all different kinds of concerts, from small local bands that are free events to Brad Paisley that are, you know, huge national touring acts um, like we had this weekend. And so there are all different kinds of uh, music for everyone here and for all ages. You know, my nine-year-old son was in attendance this weekend, had a great time here. And and uh, and then you'll have, you know, 70 and 80-year-olds that will be walking around this site. So, you know, we hate that, you know, our, our motto of more than music is very important to, to point out to people because – the name Music Factory, which we struggled whether or not we wanted to continue with that branding because we worried that people might pigeonhole it into being music. And then sometimes when people hear music, they often think that's a young, younger demographic. So there were two issues with it. One is, is that 
we are 25 restaurants. So, you know, we, we've got as more food than we have music, frankly. And, and so, you know, we are a food and music district and all, all different kinds of entertainment. It's not just, it's not just music. You know, we have a, you know, I would argue one of the best movie theaters you've ever been to here with these beautiful, huge seats and you can eat and drink while you're watching a theater, a movie. And so, so the more than music motto is designed and, and, and to help tell the message that, listen, it doesn't matter how old, how young, what color, what age, you know, we're open for all, for business for everybody. And I promise you, whatever your age you are, you're going to come here and have fun. Well, Noah, thank you very much for being a guest on Playmakers Talk Show. Playmakers are people that make things happen. You are definitely making something happen. Congratulations. Thank you so much. We just spoke with Noah Lazis. Noah is co-founder president and COO of Arc Group, but it's all about the Toyota Music Factory. Again, toyotamusicfactory.com. Great having Noah on the show. Thank you very much for listening to us. Join us again at playmakerstalkshow.com where you get all of our past episodes. That's playmakerstalkshow.com, and we'll be back with more Playmakers. See you then. You've been listening to Playmakers Talk Show with Steve Klein. Join Steve again at playmakerstalkshow.com for more interviews with interesting and successful playmaking CEOs and executives.